1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays
2: at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks, they are set to slide at the opening bell after Friday's market meltdown. Futures are down sharply right now. Investors still digesting last week's big inflation report that showed prices climbing at their highest level in more than 40 years. Attention turning now to Powell and the Fed's policy meeting starting tomorrow. As stocks fall, bond yields are surging with one key rate hitting its highest level in 15 years. Plus a reckoning for Bitcoin as the crypto asset sinks to its lowest level in two years. And then later on, if that weren't enough, tech in trouble as the Nasdaq falls deeper into bear market territory, could now be the time to scoop up a big sector at a big discount. It is Monday, June 13, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Monday morning. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and how your money is looking. Right now, stock futures are sharply lower and looking to extend last week's big sell-off. Right now, the Dow is implied lower by roughly 600 points. And believe it or not, that's off the lows of the session right now. The S&P 500 implied lower by 95 points and the NASDAQ down by a whopping nearly 350 points just at the opening bell if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Now, Uh, Heading into the opening bell today, the Dow, the S&P 500 and Nasdaq are all coming off their worst weekly declines since late January. Five S&P 500 sectors are trading in bear market territory, including technology, financials and consumer discretionary. And the two year Treasury note yield is now trading above 3.1 percent. That's its highest level since 2007. Speaking of yields and that two year note this morning. Inverting with the ten-year Treasury note, yet another possible early recession indicator that hasn't happened, by the way, that inversion since April. Now, in the crude oil market, we are also seeing prices move in response to what's happening with the market dynamic overall. WTI U.S. benchmark crude prices are down nearly two bucks a barrel, one hundred eighteen dollars and seventy cents. That's a one and a half percent decline. It's a similar percentage decline for ice Brent crude futures, that world benchmark gauge, $120.17 the last trade there. Natural gas prices below $9, $8.67. This is all coming as retail gasoline prices continue to surge, up $0.15 in the last week to a triple, kind of $5.01 national average. The national average, according to AAA, is $5.01 a gallon. And by the way, in cryptocurrency, we are seeing some incredible and I say incredible weakness across many parts of the space. Bitcoin is now, by the way, just around twenty four thousand dollars. Remember, for the longest time, a lot of traders have been looking at that thirty thousand level and we've been going above and below that for weeks at this point. But now we've broken solidly below. Ether prices are down 20 percent nearly right now to one thousand two hundred and five dollars. Everywhere else in the cryptocurrency industry, the smaller altcoins and tokens are all taking much bigger losses in today's trading as well. Now, now it's not just here at home. Markets around the world are also under heavy selling pressure. We have team coverage this morning. JP Ong is in Singapore with the overnight action in Asia. Juliana Tattlebaum is in London with the early trade on the
3: European side. And JP, we will start with you. Good early morning, Dom, and not the best start to the trading week from markets here across the Asia-Pacific with many investors here wary of two major things. Now, if you recall, the U.S. CPI report that came out last Friday evening, that came after markets in Asia closed and today was the day when they reacted and they reacted negatively to that. Stocks from Tokyo to Taipei, from Shanghai all the way to Singapore closing in the red in today's session or trading in the red. You can see it really hitting the Shanghai Composite today, falling by about 0.9% of the close. Uh, Shenzhen also closing flat to the downside. But we also saw the Nikkei 225, the South Korean KOSPI, and also the Hang Seng all closing lower. Now, on top of that, we also have some of these concerns about these rising COVID-19 infections in China, Beijing now starting to ramp up restrictions once again and imposing mass testing regimens there and also the city of Shanghai. And there are now fresh question marks as to whether we'll see more restrictions and perhaps even a resumption of an economic slowdown in the world's second-largest economy. Take a look at how it's, how it's hitting both equities and currencies across the region, and two perfect examples for you here from South Korea and Japan. We'll start off with Japan. We talked about the Nikkei 225 falling by 3% of the close, and the Japanese yen testing 135 35 yen to the greenback. Now, unlike unlike in the past when we saw the weaker yen really bolstering the appeal of uh, Japanese exporters, this time around, this yen at this level is now raising concerns about whether or not rising input costs will start to hit the margins of these Japanese companies and pull the the Japanese benchmark lower. The South Korean cost be also falling today's session and also the Korean one also taking a step back. Now, there's another thing to watch out for in South Korea and that that trucker strike that's now on its seventh day that's hit a number of major industrial companies like Steelmaker POSCO, which has now had to stop industrial output or suspend production because their inventories are starting to fill up and they're swelling their stockpiles because these uh, truckers are not taking the inventories out, and thus they've had to also cut back and suspend production. The South Korean one also falling today, Ed weakening after South Korea reported that exports in the first 10 days of June actually fell by more than 13 percent. Just very quickly, we want to take a look at the Hang Seng also today, falling and really dragged by that Hang Seng tech index that fell by about 4 percent today and really weighing on the Hong Kong benchmark. Again, one of the most challenging starts to a new trading week here in Asia in recent memory. Dom, back to you.
2: JP Ong in Singapore with the latest action over there. Thank you very much. Let's get over now to Juliana Tattlebaum in London with the latest on the European trade. Good morning, Juliana.
4: Dom, good morning. While we are seeing heavy selling here in Europe, extending last week's losses, the stock 600 closed about 4 percent lower for the week overall. And now we're seeing some steep falls this morning as well, more than 2 percent down for uh, a number of the key indices this morning. We're seeing particularly heavy selling in luxury names this morning, tied in part to the global economic story and what the impact of higher interest rates will be on growth, but also the China story with concerns around the covid situation and a worsening of the COVID situation, they are weighing on luxury stocks. We're also seeing investors um, sell the delivery names, food delivery names, in an outsized way this morning. On the flip side, we have some outperformance in defense names, so some of the key defense names performing well this morning. Um, And in terms of fixed income, we have also seen a march higher in yields here. The European Central Bank cemented last week their plans to raise interest rates starting in July, then again in September, and beyond that. And now in the wake of the stronger-than-expected- Inflation report out of the U.S. on Friday. We're seeing yields continue to move higher here in Europe, Dom.
2: All right, Julianne Hildenbaum with the latest there in Europe. Thank you very much for that. Back here at home, U.S. stock futures are lower, sharply so, but again, off their worst levels of the session. Let's bring in now Kevin Simpson, founder and chief investment officer of Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, is this market one that is worrisome to you in the idea that there's, this could be the beginning of a much, much deeper pullback, or is this something where you say this is a bottoming process taking hold?
5: Well, Don, I think it's worrisome. I mean, you know, that, that we can't ignore in any way, shape, or form. It was a horrible, brutal week last week. The futures are telling us it's gonna bleed through into this morning, and markets are absolutely learning how to take a punch. Now, in respect to your question, I think we're closer to a bottom than a top. But the real problem is that a bottoming process can take a long time, especially when we factor in a best case inflation narrative. So this could go into the summer, through the summer into the fall, and possibly through the fall into the winter. So getting this under control isn't gonna be easy. It's gonna be a tough bottoming process if we've even started that. And we're not gonna enjoy a V bottom like we've seen so many times in the past few years. So if this is the case,
2: Does it change at all the calculus in your mind for how the Fed meeting goes later on this week? They've already witnessed the volatility from last week. They're watching what's going to happen early this week ahead of this big Fed meeting. What what what, What has to happen, I guess is the best way to put it, for the Fed to alter its approach to what's happening with the economy? Or is the inflation data so pervasively bad that they have to stay on track no matter what?
5: Well, I think it's so pervasively bad that if anything, they would want to accelerate um, their their tightening process. But this Fed has been so careful about telegraphing what they're going to do and then doing it. I'm concerned that leaving that narrative on Wednesday w- won't happen. So, so let's play on this thesis, Dom. They're going to raise rates 50 basis points because that's what they told us they're going to do. Clear the Fed um, has, has a is a little bit behind the eight ball, and that's why the markets are selling off. But what they do have an opportunity to do, and the big news will probably be the, the post-game presser, where Chairman Powell can sound as hawkish as anybody on the planet. So maybe he could say something like this. Look, we raised rates 50 basis points here for June, but 50, 75, 100, they're all on the table for July. They're on the table for September. And guess what? If we see the data uh, and, and indicating it's necessary, we may even raise rates between meetings, That type of communication, that type of messaging is is what the Fed's going to need to do, at least to get us through this week. It's not going to help inflation day one, but it may placate the market.
2: Kevin, before we let you go really quickly, just a few moments left here. What's your favorite part of the market, given the downturn we've seen?
5: I mean, cash would be a sarcastic answer, which I'm not going to give you, but I think there's opportunities in financials for sure. They have tremendously rock solid fortress balance sheets. The narrative that financials would do well in a rising interest rate environment hasn't played out yet. You talked about it at the open. They're in correction territory. So I'd be looking at the big banks. And even big tech, which also is really selling off massively, is going to create some opportunities. It's not timing the market. It's not trading the market. It's using this opportunity over the next several months to accumulate positions in companies that you want to own and continue to make sure they're cash on cash. They pay dividends. And I want to get paid while we wait for times to improve. All right. Kevin Simpson says invest,
2: don't trade. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks, Don. To some of this morning's top stories now. Widespread lockdowns and mass testing. Returning to some of China's biggest cities over the weekend as both Shanghai and Beijing attempt to stem the community spread of COVID-19, both cities extending major restrictions into this week with Beijing delaying the reopening of schools and Shanghai suspending in-person dining. Shanghai reported 37 cases of the virus for Sunday, while Beijing reported 51. Google agreeing to pay $118 million to settle a lawsuit claiming it discriminated against women with regard to pay and promotions. The settlement covers about 15,000 female employees who worked at Google in California in 236 job titles after September 2013. According to plaintiffs' lawyers in the case, in addition to the cash payment, the settlement also dictates independent experts will have to review Google's hiring practices and pay equity studies. And Tesla announcing late Friday it's planning a 3 for 1 stock split. According to a regulatory filing, Tesla says, quote unquote, "We believe the stock split would help reset the market price of our common stock so that our employees will have more flexibility in me- in managing their equity." Tesla announced a similar 5 for 1 stock split you may recall back in August of 2020. When we come back on the show, much more on the global market sell-off as yields surge to their highest level in years. We will speak with the co-head of rates and emerging market strategy at Goldman Sachs coming up next. Plus, what Friday's hotter-than-expected inflation report could mean for the Fed's policy meeting this week? NatWest Markets' Michelle Girard weighs in also later on in the show. We are back after this break. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu here on Worldwide Exchange. There is a lot of market activity happening with regard to the downside right now, and one place that has not been immune to it is the bond market. We've been focused very much on interest rates, given what's happening with the Treasury market overall, and that is having reverberations throughout the entire Credit industry within financials. Now, one of the big reasons why we're focusing so much on that 10 year note yield is because we are now going back to the highest levels, going all the way back to 2018. 3.23% right now is the last trade. So, as those yields surge to those levels, that means prices, the value of that debt for U.S. government debt, has now sunken to this lowest level since, again, 2018. If you take a look at where that's playing out, remember, over the course of the last several months, even years at this point, a lot of investors have been pouring into high-yield and investment-grade corporate debt because it yields more than treasuries. On the corporate investment-grade side, these stronger companies have been seen as pretty decent in terms of return, in terms of yield versus treasuries because they have stronger balance sheets and are more creditworthy. But people have been reaching for more income, more yield, in junk bonds or high yield debt. For that reason, from a price perspective, over the course of the last year, you can even see high yield corporate ETFs like the iShares iBox high yield corporate ETF ticker, HYG, has actually outperformed investment grade corporate bond ETFs like the LQD ticker. You can see kind of like that outperformance here. Meanwhile, we're going to focus in on this last month or so here. Let's take a look in a shorter term basis. Junk bonds versus investment-grade corporate bonds. That those same ETFs, the orange line represents investment-grade corporates. Meanwhile, the white line is high-yield. That underperformance over the course of the past week has become even more dramatic. Again, 4% downside for the high-yield corporates, investment-grade down about 1.5%. It's also carrying through on a relative basis, you can see, with the way that high-yield debt has matched up against treasury bonds. We'll put this ETF here, the TLT, over the course of the last week as well, it is down not nearly as much as high yield corporates. So, again, that dynamic may be indicating a little bit more fear in the marketplace about how those lesser, less strong companies from a balance sheet perspective will perform. Now, as we head out to break, despite the sharp moves lower, it's not all red arrows. Check out some of the big gainers in last week's session right now. You can see, you know, relatively speaking, Smuckers, Valero, and Domino's Pizza as well. Now, for the NASDAQ, JD.com, CrowdStrike, NetEase, and Kraft Highs are some of the big gainers after the course of the last week. Keep it right here. We are back with Worldwide Exchange after this break.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
7: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
2: of a detour.
8: Welcome back to World One Exchange. I'm Francis Rivera with your news headlines. A bipartisan group of senators may have finally ended a years-long impasse over new federal gun laws in this country. Ten Democrats and ten Republicans say they have a framework for a stricter set of gun safety laws. Included in the deal is enhanced background checks for 18 to 21-year-old gun buyers and incentives for states to enact red flag laws. We are just a few hours away from the second round of the January 6 hearings. Today the House Select Committee is expected to focus on the big lie surrounding the 2020 election, and former President Trump's unfounded claims of fraud. The witness list includes former Trump campaign manager Bill Stepien and former Fox News political editor Chris Starwalt. A COVID vaccine could finally be on the way for children under the age of five. An FDA review found that Pfizer's three-dose vaccine appears safe and effective. A panel of outside experts will vote on whether the shots are ready on Wednesday. From Monday morning, Dom, those are your news headlines. We send it back to you.
2: All right, Francis Rivera, thank you very much for those headlines. Now, as we head out to break, a look at the futures right now. The Dow is down implied 525 points at the opening bell. The S&P down by 85. And the Nasdaq down a whopping 320 points. Our market coverage continues amid this fresh market volatility. Michelle Girard on that red-hot CPI report from last week and the Fed's response this week. Richard Kramer on techs continued clobbering. And Sylvia Jablonski and Tiffany McGee weighing on the moves to make with you and your money amid the selling pressure. We'll Exchange is back in a moment. A Monday meltdown is taking shape. Friday's steep sell off in the stocks on that back of that CPI report set to bleed over into a fresh trading week. Futures right now pointing to sharper losses at the opening bell. That red hot inflation read putting fresh pressure on Jay Powell and the Fed to act as it prepares for its latest policy meeting. A look at how the central bank strategy might be changing. And tech's ongoing route only getting worse as the sector falls deeper into so-called bear market territory. So is now the time to dive back in and pick off some of these lows. It's Monday, June 13th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chew. for Brian Sullivan, on this Monday morning, it's right around just shy of 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time here on the East Coast. And here's how the markets and your money are looking right now. They're not looking good. Futures are looking to extend last week's losses. The Dow is implied lower by nearly 600 points, the S&P down by about 93, and the Nasdaq down a whopping 340 points. Technology, a key focus here. We've got commentary from two investment banks. First, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson saying, in part, quote, the given, given the growing evidence of slowing growth and the risk to earnings, we think the S&P 500 is headed towards 3400 before a more tradable low is actually in. Now, that would imply another 13% decline for where we stand this morning. Also, from Goldman Sachs, David Koston, watching earnings estimates, quote, If the EPS estimate for the S&P 500 moves to 225 bucks. Halfway to our recession scenario of 200, a 14 times P.E. would bring the sector or the S&P to 3150 by year's end. That would be a 19 percent move lower. So keep those in mind. Turning to the bond market, which is driving a lot of the action these days in just about every asset class there is. You can see the 10-year benchmark treasury note yield is higher and just below 3.24 percent the two-year note yield is 3.2 percent so we do see this kind of inversion effect taking a hold at least between two years and 10 years it wavers about there we'll keep an eye on that as they stick pretty close together we'll see how that plays out also watching what's happening overall with cryptocurrencies they are sharply lower this morning bitcoin prices No longer trying to hover around that 30,000 mark. We are now just above 24,000, down 12 percent elsewhere in cryptocurrencies with some of these smaller tokens and coins. Ether prices down 17 percent, $1,234. If you look in over the entirety of cryptocurrency, we are talking even sharper losses for some of the smaller tokens and currencies from Bitcoin and Ether. So keep an eye on that. Let's get a look now at the early trade and what's happening in Europe. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with the latest. Juliana.
4: Dom, good morning. Well, here in Europe, we're seeing continued heavy selling. Stocks are down, bond yields are up. In terms of the magnitude of the moves lower, are the DAX, the German market is down more than 2% right now. The French market is down about two and quarter We're seeing particularly heavy selling in the luxury names. They are weighing down the French market. The China story and the deteriorating COVID situation there seems to be weighing on the outlook for those luxury names. FTSE 100 here in the UK down about 1.6%. We have the Bank of England policy decision due on Thursday. So that'll be a focal point for the UK market. But overall, Dom, the market narrative seems to be following what you're seeing stateside. Investors now questioning whether we will see policymakers have to move faster and move higher on rates to control these high inflation figures. Dom, we'll hand it back over to you.
2: All right. Selling pressure in Europe. Picking up Juliana Tettelbaum. Thank you very much. The global equity sell-off coming on the heels of Friday's hotter than expected May inflation report showing that price gains... We're at their fastest pace since 1981. That read adding to pressure facing Jay Powell and the Fed ahead of this week's big policy decision and questions about possible changes to its rate hike strategy. So joining me now is Michelle Girard, head of U.S. for NatWest Markets. A- and Michelle, it's maybe no surprise that markets are reacting to hotter inflation prints, but they've been happening for quite some time. It leads to questions about whether we're near, at, close to a peak in some way. Do you feel as though we're getting there?
9: Well, I, I think in terms of inflation, we're, we're getting there. Although certainly what we saw from, from last Friday is we haven't gotten there yet. And I'll be honest, we had thought the peak might be in. But the surprise in food and energy at, that we know has actually continued into June Obviously, it means we're we're probably at least a couple of months away from that headline number. Um Showing a peak, and I was really just disappointed. uh, I think for those of us who you know are hopeful, beginning to turn a bit of a corner. And and I don't mean to say that I think inflation is going to be coming down uh, terribly quickly. I I just thought we might be seeing a peak and some gradual easing. You know, the breadth of the gains that we saw on Friday wasn't just food and energy, which of course are incredibly important and, and as I said, are are likely to persist. But across all of the underlying categories, from Cars to, to rent and, and, um, and apparel. And, and, I mean, it was just very broad-based. And, again, a, a sign there that it's much more likely to be more persistent than, than Fed policymakers would, would have hoped to be seeing at this point in the cycle.
2: All right. So, Michelle, did it change the Fed's thinking? Did it change guess- it all the way that they feel as though they have to approach this week's policy meeting? Or is it <sighs> one of those things where they've already communicated what they're going to do and they don't want to royal markets even further?
9: Well, I, I think that that's the, a little bit of the box that, that Chairman Paul has put the Fed in by uh, effectively taking 75 basis point increases off the table for the summer. You know, he had signaled that 50 basis point increases in both June and July were the likely path. And so, it you know, it's it's sort of difficult, I think, for the Fed to, to move, to make a larger move. Not impossible, but their hands are a little bit tied by sort of that that signaling that I don't think was necessary last month. So, I, I still, our best guess is still they only go a half a percentage point this week. They use their so called the dot plot, you know, their projections of where the funds rate is headed. That will be updated at this week's meeting. They'll use that to perhaps signal that while well, they only went. 50 basis points, uh, you know, this week in June, they're more likely and they're all expecting they will end up having to raise the fund rate higher than they had thought um, ultimately, than they had thought, uh, you know, a month ago.
2: You know, tr- M- Michelle, traders and investors also have the ability to bet or, or, or kind of forecast or wager <laughs> on where they think the terminal rate or where the end of this kind of thing goes in terms of, the, a, a, of a possible rate high cycle for the Fed. Over the course of the past week, It's gone up considerably by around 50, 50 basis points just in a week alone. Now we're talking about a scenario where it might be closer to three and three quarters percent for the end of this kind of tightening cycle. Is that now priced into the market because we're seeing that in those Fed funds futures? Or do you think the markets elsewhere have to catch up to that?
9: So that's a really good point, Tom. I mean, the a lot has been priced into the markets in terms of Fed rate hike expectations. Between now and year end, the market is already pricing at almost another 240 basis points, over two and almost two and a half percent more in terms of rate hikes between now and year end. As you said, that terminal rate, how high the funds will ultimately get, the market is bracing for three and a half or three and three quarters. That's you know, that's a lot of Fed. A Fed tightening, which which makes you hope that in terms of both the bond and the stock market, that a lot of the weakness that we've seen reflects that, and maybe that will start to come to a close. The problem is we just don't know. Uh, again, next month's numbers are likely to, on inflation are likely to remain high. I think the market is going to continue to second guess itself and be very unsettled here until we get some more indications, either that inflation is peaking or you know, the downside or the worst case for the Fed would be you don't have signs of inflation peaking, but you do start to see signs of the economy slowing down. And then the Fed will really be in a bind into what to prioritize. But but I think the markets are worried that as much as that's been priced in, maybe that won't ultimately prove enough that you've got to get to 4% or more in order to actually get inflation all the way back down
2: to the Fed's 2% target. All right. Michelle Girard Nat West Markets, thank you very much for the thoughts. We appreciate it. Think so. All right. Investors are fleeing the shorter end of the U.S. bond market as they scramble to price in an even steeper path for rate hikes, as we just spoke about with Michelle. Following Friday's hotter than expected CPI report, the yield on the two-year Treasury no-yield topping 3.2 percent, the highest level, by the way, since 2007. Rising yields are also pushing the dollar up against a range of different currencies, the yen falling to a multi-decade low, trading at its weakest level versus the dollar since 1998 as the gap between hawkish central banks and dovish banks like the Bank of Japan starts to widen. Let's talk more about all of this with Comic shia Trevetti, who's the co-head of Global FX Rates and Emerging Market Strategy at Goldman Sachs. I mean, this is one of those situations where when the going gets tough, the tough get going to the U.S. dollar. But I'm not sure if that's necessarily a positive thing, given what's happening right now. What do you think this says about where the markets go from here and capital flows given the U.S. situation and the inflation narrative we've been weaving?
7: Yeah, look, I think that the dollar is in a place where it's benefiting not just from the interest rate hikes that the Fed is going to deliver and is delivering, but also from the broader risk of sentiment that you see across global markets. I mean, typically, equity markets tend to feel the most pain when they feel that central banks are forced to tighten into a slowdown. We have a little bit of that flavor going on in global markets today. And in that sort of environment, the dollar benefits from both its sort of rate hike cycle, its domestic uh, inflation dynamics. But also the fact that uh, you have a sort of risk off scenario where you have capital flows going into the U.S. as a kind of safe haven uh, asset. And so I think it's, it's premature to call the top for the dollar, given the environment we are in.
2: It seems interesting, though, because when you want to buy U.S. assets, whether it's U.S. sovereign bonds, a.k.a. treasury bonds, or you want to buy U.S. equities, whether or not it's Tesla or Apple stock or any other dividend paying stock, you got to own U.S. dollars to do it. You know, hence I can see the demand there. But people are buying dollars and the dollar is strengthening, and none of those things are going towards sovereign bonds in the U.S. or to the equity markets. What exactly then does that say about what investors feel? Are they just going to sit on the cash despite the fact inflation is running at the highest levels in 40 years?
7: We've certainly seen cash levels across a whole range of asset managers and funds go up. So I think that is definitely part of the story. But remember, as always, FX is a relative game. So for for there to be, for the dollar to move lower, you need something else to be, you know, more in, 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 in vogue. You need either a central bank that is out hiking the Fed or you need to see stronger growth in the rest of the world, which is sort of attracting flows into equity assets and risky assets in those jurisdictions. You just don't have that right now. The, pretty much the entire world is facing the same types of challenges of higher inflation uh, that, that the Fed is facing. And if anything, the Fed seems more front footed in, uh, in addressing that uh, relative to, say, perhaps, you know, we have, have to see this week. We have the, the Bank of England. You know, they seem to be struggling with the same challenge. And if anything, uh, moving in smaller increments, the Bank of Japan, as you mentioned, you know, who've had yield curve control for a long time. Unless they switch, you know, dollar-yen is going to be, uh, you know, moving, moving, moving higher. Uh, so I think, you know, you have to bear that in mind. It's not just what is happening in the U.S., but also what is happening in the rest of the world.
2: Generally speaking, uh, Kamasha, before we let you go, generally speaking, when you look at the world of credit versus what's happening with sovereign bonds, do you believe as though the kind of selling pressure that we've seen in many benchmark sovereign bonds, including here in the U.S., has created more of an opportunity on a relative basis to pick up income and yield for sovereign debt or corporate investment grade slash high yield. Both have taken a beating. What's the better bargain these days?
7: Look, I think that you know, with corporate debt, you have to take into account not just the risk-free yield component, but also concerns around uh, a potential recession and what that does going forward. And we don't think you are pricing in any sort of imminent recession risk in, in in a range of assets. That's true of corporate bonds. That's true of commodities. That's even true of you know s- s- sovereign bonds to some extent. You know, if you were really going to go into a recession, we'd expect to see uh, a very different pricing profile in the in the in the Fed funds uh, strip. So we don't think that is quite done. At some point, if inflation peaks and the Fed is no longer forced to keep ratcheting up. Uh, The extent of the hikes, you know, sovereign bonds might become a good value proposition once again as a hedge to an equity portfolio. But again, as I said, whether it comes to the dollar, it comes to rates, it feels uh, premature to say that that point is now.
2: All right. Kamakshi Trivedi, Goldman Sachs. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Coming up on the show, tech's tough year only getting worse. Arite Research's Richard Kramer lays out whether it's time to get back in on the tech trade and which names he likes. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Another difficult trading day is taking shape right now, as you can see. Futures pointed to sharper losses at the opening bell. The Dow down implied roughly 2%, uh, the S&P down by 2.5%, and the NASDAQ down by an implied 3% at the opening bell. Techs continued hammering, poised to roll on after a tough week. The NASDAQ shed 3.5% on just Friday alone finishing the week down more than 5.5%. That index, by the way, for the NASDAQ composite is down more than 27% so far this year. For more on tech's continued route and whether a bottom could be near, let's bring in Richard Kramer, managing partner Arite Research. Uh, Richard, this has been the question for weeks now, if not months, since probably November of last year when we kind of saw the peaks in the NASDAQ. What would signal in your mind a possible bottoming taking hold in technology?
1: So I think what's happening right now with the companies is that while we see the reaction in the stock market being very rapid, the companies themselves are in the process of shifting from pursuing growth to conserving cash. So you see that in the news about hiring freezes. You see that in companies quietly pulling back from uh, potential M&A that they might be looking at. And generally, it's going to take more time Till the companies readjust their their outlooks and their business models. And indeed, I think the buy side has already anticipated further cuts to earnings that the sell side typically is very slow to price in.
2: So if that's the case, if that dynamic is in play, are there certain places within that technology and communication services trade that are perhaps closer towards that bottoming process than others, given that kind of information gap, that kind of a little bit of movement between how certain parts of the market are viewing certain types of stocks.
1: Absolutely. And you're starting to see something you didn't see in the massive uh, run up you had last year and certainly till November, which is differentiation. Um, Clearly, uh, you've seen the big tech companies sell off less hard. Uh, They have the luxury of having large cash pools in their balance sheet. For example, Google has $120 billion of cash. Uh, they won't be obliged to pull back from uh, the projects that they have uh, ongoing. They aren't going to be obliged to have a blanket hiring freeze the way some other companies that are are burning cash might. So you've seen areas like the you know Google, Apple, um, uh, Microsoft relatively outperform. You've seen companies like TSMC, which has a phenomenal franchise, uh, go down much less than than the wider market. So it's not just the big techs, but there are other places you can look at in across tech that still have a pretty good secular outlook. I mean, the auto semis market is certainly not anywhere near uh, supply-demand balance. And even with softer demand, that's uh, going to take a long time for supply to catch up. So that route that you're referring to is not really across the board. There is a lot more differentiation right now. And that's kind of welcome to investors because it brings back this notion of of adding value from stock picking.
2: Yeah. Differentiation means opportunities. Right. So, so, so Richard, if if you look towards that, you mentioned a couple of names there. What would be in your coverage universe the most attractive at current levels, knowing that we might be even further down given today's action?
1: Look, we're, we're going to see more downside in a lot of names, but we are seeing something unusual for us and that since we're independent and therefore we've had a large uh, number of sell notes for, for the last year or two, we're starting to see companies like Uber, for example, where we've pretty much been sellers or neutral since IPO, we actually put a buy on it. Uh, I think if the company doesn't generate cash by the end of the year, they're going to have some serious management challenges. Uh Uh, You'd likely see management changes and and a reconstitution of the business and and the pressure's on. I think there are other companies uh, that we're looking at uh, for a potential rebound, but you would probably want to see the shape of uh, 2023 come out. For example, we have a very out-of-consensus view on Intel, uh, where we're buyers. Uh, consensus is looking for no earnings growth. They have huge upfront costs to reset the business. And we think as they start to get their house in order, that's a stock that that looks right now to be at, at really record low valuations that might be interesting as, as a rebound into 2023. But I think for the near term, you're going to see numbers get cut and continued concerns of about the impact of inflation on consumer spend and that flows through to you know the largest sector of the market which is tech
2: intel and uber among richard kramer's top picks at arita research thank you very much we appreciate it on deck for the sh- new trading week taking shape you can see there taking uh, our market panel laying out what's going to happen with the overall theme going forward worldwide exchange is back after this All right. Welcome back now. Futures are indicating a sharp sell off at the opening bell. The Dow is implied lower by roughly nearly two percent. The S&P down by about two and a half percent and the Nasdaq down by three percent over there. Let's bring in Sylvia Jablonski, CEO, CIO and co-founder of Defiance ETFs. Also, Tiffany McGee, the CEO and CIO of Pivotal Advisors. She's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Ladies, thank you very much for joining us both. Sylvia, maybe I'll start with you on this market narrative you have and run ETF products. Where are people now putting their money given what's been happening or are they pulling it out?
6: Good morning, Tom. Great to see you. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the, the problem right now is that people aren't putting their money to work. I think that, you know, what you see going on in the market after last week's CPI read and, and two days of a 5% pullback coupled with some of the new data that came in that two and 10 year inverting um, put call ratios back at a sort of 0.89 level uh, S&P, NASDAQ, and bear market territory, I think that a lot of investors are actually sitting on the sideline and have some panic about the current market conditions. But you know, these are actually really great opportunities. As we always say, it's hard to call the bottom. But when you have a lot of these, you know, check boxes ticking there on, you know, bear market and, and looking closer there, these are great opportunities to, to get into whether it's ETFs or, or um, growth names at lower valuations for investors that can lock up their cash for a while.
2: So, Tiffany, do you agree with Sylvia? Is this an opportunity? Does it create a dislocation enough where you can say, hey, maybe there's stuff I can buy on the cheap, given what's happening right now? Or do I wait for things to get cheaper? From here?
10: Well, Don, you know, in every market, there's someone somewhere making money. So there are clearly some opportunities. But, you know, when I look at what happened last week, I mean, listen, there's just no elo- eloquent way to put this. Like last week was just horrible, right? And so most of us got, got, got knocked down. But, you know, we need to think about what is the strategy going forward. And so you really have three choices you've got buy, sell, or hold. And I can make a case for about two of those. And so, When you look at the case to hold, and this is why I know investors are probably sitting home and 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 really panicking. And here's why you should not panic. So if you kept your money in the market, right? We can just look at like the past 15 years. So if you had like a $10,000 investment from December 31st, uh, 2006, to December 31st, 2021, you would have had $45,682 right now. But if you panicked and took your money out of the market and you missed just only 10 of the best trading days of that of that time period, you would have twenty thousand nine hundred and twenty nine dollars. So almost less than half. Right. So it really is um, time in the market and not timing the market. And yes, there are opportunities to buy. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, it's just it's just a matter of what you want to do going forward.
2: So, so Tiffany, if I could follow up there, what what then is the buy? I mean, you, you run an advisory shop. What exactly are you putting clients into right now?
10: Well, that's the question, right? And so, you know, uh, with so many stocks going down and declining, of course there are opportunities to buy the things that you love, things you have conviction conviction around at a better price. But what we like right now, because it's really hard to look at all that red... To look at all that um, that red on the screen. What we're, we really like uh, are companies with with uh, strong balance sheets. Um, we like yield also, but also companies that are that are in positive territory right now. So I'll just give you two quick ones. So Pioneer Natural Resources PXD. It is an energy company. Um, the estimated dividend for this year is 9.8%. That's a lot of yield you can pick up, and it's up 50 59% year to date. Also, um, ABBV. It's a healthcare company. It's up 5% year to date. I'll take that. Right. Cons- Considering last week, and then also the estimated dividend for 2022
2: is 3.9%. All right. So, ABV, two very different industries. ABV versus you know healthcare, yep. kind of biotech versus what's happening with energy. We know about the momentum in yep. energy. Sylvia Jablonski, is energy in your mind still a buy, or has that fifty-some percent run from many of these parts of the market over there really made this an expensive place to be?
6: Well, I think in the near term, in the next couple of months, energy is going to look like a pretty decent place to be. As Tiffany mentioned, you're going to get some of the yields there. And, you know, the the story there for, for price of crude, crude and commodities right now, inflation is, is sort of um, favorable to those companies. So I think in the near term, it's a decent trade. But longer term, you know, especially if you're a young person and, and you're allocating to a 401k plan and, and have the ability to dollar cost average, I mean, right now you can buy just about anything. You can buy broad-based indices like S&P 500 and NASDAQ because they're again, um, bear market territory, 20, 30% respectively. But you can also buy, buy growth stocks. You know, I, I know that that's a dirty word right now, but the valuations are quite far down. You've got companies like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google with loads of cash on the balance sheet, quality companies. They're part of every secular tech growth trend that's going to come. And you're really getting these names on sale. You know, again, you have to have that understanding that this isn't going to look pretty for for months and potentially years um, to come. But I think that when you you look at this type of market, these are the opportunities that you wish you would have sort of seized in in buying equities. But like Tiffany said, I think if, if you're heavily invested in the market, you know, holding is key. It's 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 a big mistake to take your money out of the market and lose twenty to thirty percent. You know, these things do come back and it's painful and it's terrible, but unfortunately it is part of investing um in, in today's world. <laughs>
2: Tiffany, just a couple moments left here. You get the last word. Does the Fed worry you this week?
10: No. I'm a long term investor. So listen, this too shall pass. And just like Sylvia mentioned, if you are a long term investor, this is just this this volatility uh, these Fed moves, these Fed decisions, everyone kind of like anxiously waiting for what the Fed is going to do. I mean, we know what the Fed is going to do, right? Sure. Um, it, it's it, it's all part of the game.
2: All right. Sylvia Jablonski, Tiffany McGee. Thank you very much, ladies. Have a great day. That, that does thank it for you. us here on Worldwide Exchange. The markets are in sell off mode right now. Squawk Box picks up the coverage coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide
1: Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery.